the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We hear a lot today about God's grace, 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 and God's love. But unless God's grace and love are set against the backdrop of our true condition, our filth, and our corruption, we will sooner or later wind up trivializing God's love and grace, which is really what's happening today. John tells us, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The Apostle Paul takes that and runs with it, so to speak, here in chapter 5 of Romans, verses 6 through 8. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Pastor Gary has us back in Romans today, chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, as we take a look at God's wondrous love exhibited. Here's Pastor Gary and today's program. Last week, we saw that the Holy Spirit, in the midst of our tribulations, pours out God's love into our hearts. It's not just that he brings blessings to us as a result of the tribulation. He does that. But he does so in the midst of it as well. He shows us God's sweet love and kindness in ways we would never otherwise learn. We come to verses 6 through 8 today, and we're going to have yet further reasons to rejoice that nothing evil ever happens to the righteous. Do you know that Scripture says that? Proverbs 12, 21, there shall be no evil happen to the righteous. Now, don't misunderstand. Horrible things happen to the righteous. We can have horrible injuries, illnesses. We can have a spouse or a child die. We can have financial difficulties, but yet these things do not prevent us from being blessed in the love of our Savior. In fact, they become the very means through which God shows us His love and His power. We are to never forget that love. We may be struggling with sin. We may be very ill. We may be persecuted for the gospel's sake. But never are we to forget God's love for us in Christ. Paul will say later to us in this very book, nothing can separate us from it. Nothing. Nothing in this life. Nothing in the life to come. Not death. Not God's enemies. Nothing can separate us from God's love. 
but we are continually tempted to measure God's love by our feelings about that love at a given time or by our circumstances. So here in verses 6 through 8, the Holy Spirit sets God's love upon such a firm foundation that none of us may ever doubt it. It basically says this, since God crucified his own son, since God crucified his own son for us, then we may never doubt his love. No matter what happens to us, no matter what we're going through, God's love is our salvation. It is our shield. It is our source of refreshment constantly in this life as we think about it, as we pray it, as we worship as we seek his love, and finally, that love will bring us to his everlasting kingdom. But we're not going to appreciate God's love as we should, unless we are humbled by our miserable condition. Notice Romans isn't written to unbelievers primarily. It is written to believers So when Paul says in verse 6, for when we were yet without strength, his main purpose there is not to humble an unbeliever or make him feel his wretchedness, though that certainly may happen. And God can use his word in that way, of course. But his main purpose is to bring us to remember how weak and sinful we are so that we will grow in our appreciation for God's love when we see what he has done for us. Notice he says, when we were yet without strength. In other words, we had no ability to please God. Totally helpless, dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, this is not the way our condition is normally presented in today's false gospel and half gospels and feel-good gospels. Usually today, we are just a, a little bit wounded, but we're basically good. And we just need God to help us out with a, a little bit of that spiritual stuff. That, of course, is not the Bible's presentation. It says we have no strength, not any. We are corpses. We couldn't take one step towards God, towards righteousness, towards heaven before we were reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We had no strength. We had nothing in us except that which was displeasing to God. And that is why the prophet Isaiah describes us in chapter 53, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Have you ever seen a sheep out in the pasture? They're covered with muck, even excrement, filth. We had gone astray just like sheep, each one of us, Pursuing our own devious course. And not, notice not only that, but we were ungodly. So the situation is very bad. We were opposed to God. 
We had no reverence from here for him, no fear uh, of him as his word, as that word literally means. Weakness and ungodliness were in us, but judgment, God's judgment hung over us. His sword and hell loomed before us. This was who we were when God came to us in love. Even as believers, we are never to forget our ruin and calamity. Never. Now God's grace has appeared. And if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you you look to him, you are forgiven of all your sins. We, we live today in a wondrous age of redemption accomplished, salvation applied by our resurrected Lord and our poured out spirit. But we are to still remember. We are to still remember the fallen state, the wicked state, the ungodly state from which God rescued us. Not so much that we shall wallow in our sin, or to adopt some kind of posture of false humility. It's nothing really but hypocrisy. But God's love, its wonder, its power, its satisfying strength will lose its hold on our affections. And it will never be the guiding power and the principle of our lives unless we are severely humbled by his goodness to us. And we can't be humbled by his goodness to us unless we remember what we were before Christ came and rescued us from that miry pit. Look at David in Psalm 51.3 after his sin with Bathsheba. He was a believer. He had repented. Psalm 32 records that. But what does David say? My sin is ever before me. Now, that didn't keep David from celebrating God's mercy. He did that later in the Psalms, if you remember. But at the same time, David realized that even as he called upon God's mercy, that he needed God's help. I have nothing but what you are pleased to give me. So we ought to ask ourselves a question. Will any of us, do any of us, do you, do I, are any of us struck deeply at the awe of God's love, a love that sustains us in the midst of tribulation so that we can say, I know God loves me. Are we ever brought to the point where we are struck by God's love unless we remember how weak we were and how sinful we are and how much we need God's mercy at every moment. This mercy is necessary to remember whether you are thinking about the sins you committed before you were brought to know the Lord or or like David, the sins you have committed after you had come to know him. Every moment we need to be bringing to our mind, my God has had mercy on me. He helped me in my work. He'll help me when my boss is breathing down my neck because he loves me. 
He'll help me when my children are driving me mad or I'm driving them mad. He loves me. He laid down the life of his son for me when I was his enemy, when I was ungodly. He will certainly love me now. So if we want to know why there is low piety today in the church, why there is oftentimes cold hearts, why our hearts are oftentimes cold towards God, we don't have to look any further than this one thing. We fail to look seriously at how wondrously God loved us when we were ungodly and weak and stuck in sin and in slavery. And his judgment was just hanging over our heads. Yet he loved me. And he drew me and you out of the pit. We hear a lot today about God's grace, 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 and God's love. But unless God's grace and love are set against the backdrop of our true condition, our filth and our corruption, we will sooner or later wind up trivializing God's love and grace, which is really what's happening today. It is the humbled heart that remembers what I was, how God has saved me, that I had nothing to commend myself to him. I was nothing but filth. I was all unclean. And yet our God came to me in mercy and saved me through Jesus Christ and laid all of my filth upon his son. That is when God's love begins to be precious to us. And we can even feel it in the midst of tribulation like verse 5 says, as refreshing to us and upholding and sustaining. But we will not get there unless we are honest about our weakness. That I was weak, I was ungodly, I was dead in my trespasses and sin, and His love lifted me. Love came and rescued me from the quicksand of my rebellion against God. Beloved, nothing will so magnify and exalt the love of God in your own hearts and lives and families. Nothing, fathers, will loose your tongues to talk about the love of God in your family like an honest feeling and acknowledgement of your own weakness and sinfulness. And yet he loves us anyway. It was at that time, wasn't it, verse 6? For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That phrase, in due time, means according to the time in Greek. It's translated in Galatians 4.4 in the fullness of time, or at the exact time when God knew that his own purposes would be fulfilled in sending his son. Now, this time, though, needs to be seen in its connection with sin and weakness because the Holy Spirit puts it in that connection. When the Lord Jesus Christ came and the decades leading up to then, the old world was drowning in philosophical skepticism, asking what is truth. And there was moral perversion, decadence, and political tyranny. 
That was the world. And it was as if the last drops of common grace had just fallen out. When we look to the Jews, God's chosen people, they were no better than the rest. There was only a very small remnant that believed the promises of God that he would send us a Messiah. The leaders of God's people, they had replaced God's pure word with their own man-made religion, which is why they ended up killing the Lord Jesus Christ. Among the rank and file, if contemporary accounts are accurate, which I believe they are, Dishonesty, pragmatism, and the most rank materialism held sway among the majority of the Jewish people. And it was at that time when sin, rebellion, and weakness brought the human race to such an impasse that God mercifully sent his son into the world. He did this to magnify the greatness of his love. He showed us this is the wages of sin. Death is not just when they throw some dirt over you and put a tulip on top. Death is when your culture collapses under degradation, ruin, and homosexuality. Parents leaving their babies out in the elements to kill them. Even bestiality. All of these things were evident in the Roman world at that time. And God says, I want to show you that death is spiritual. Death is is philosophical. Death is scientific. Death is moral. This is what happens when you turn away from me, he said. It was at that time that God so loved the world, this fallen, corrupt world, that he gave us his only begotten son. You know, when we come to John 3.16, being reformed, we often start worrying about, wait a minute, for God so loved the world that whosoever shall believe in him. So how do we reconcile the elect with the world? Well, that is really a wasted effort because it's not the purpose of the verse. The purpose of the verse is to stress the world. What is the world in John's gospel? It is the mass of fallen humanity, corrupt, evil, alienated from God, having nothing good, that the only God against whom all these believers and all that wickedness was done, that that holy God who needs nothing, who would have perfectly been been perfectly just to wipe the whole thing out and sent every man, woman and child and infant and unborn to hell forever. But God in his mercy sent his son into that world so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God allowed man in his sin to arrive at this dead end of of misery so that his love would be seen for what it is, sovereign, powerful, and the only hope for miserable sinners like us. Now we need to think a little more about this, because I think this phrase in due time 
leads us to a closely related truth. When does God's love come to you, professing believer? Or if you are an unbeliever today, when will God's love come to you? Is it when we are feeling good about ourselves? Is it when we are thinking we have life all figured out? Is that when he comes to us with his love? Is that when his love is actually precious to you and I? No, never in a million years. He has to show us the truth about ourselves. So maybe he lays a heavy conviction of sin upon our conscience that is so grievous that we're just driven to the ground and all we can do is call upon God and hope in His mercy. Maybe He brings a tragedy into our lives and we feel like we are being unhinged mentally and spiritually and emotionally. Maybe He brings a fierce conflict into our families or some other trouble that when He works, humbling self-realization, I am weak, I am sinful, I have nothing that can pull me out of this calamity, nothing. God brings us a sense of that. Then he works. Then he reveals his love to us in Christ. This is the way he brings us to first faith in the Lord Jesus. I have nothing. I can remember 40-some years ago listening to a sermon by Dr. Rushduni and being struck with the fact that I am a sinner and I need to be cleansed. That is what God does when He first brings us to faith or in the ongoing flow of His covenant and His work in our lives. That is when He brings a season of refreshment to us when he empties us of self-reliance and of pride, like Peter. Could Peter ever have been an apostle if the Lord Jesus, as he walked across that courtyard, and his eyes met Peter's eyes, and in an instant Peter knew, I've been had. Here now is my true self. I didn't see it before. Blustery, prideful, self-reliant. I've just denied the one who I have confessed is the Christ, the Son of the living God. What did Peter do then? Well, he did not go out and hang himself like Judas, who was always a rank unbeliever and fell into despair. No, Peter went out and he wept bitterly, bitterly tears of true repentance. You see, this is how God brings us to a sense of his love and refreshes us now this is a painful moment to be sure and those of us who have been through these moments and I have had many in my life where for a moment God just pulls back the veil and says do you Gary see how filthy you are do you see how selfish you are Do you see how prideful you are? Do you see how lustful you are? Do you see what a nasty, wretched husband you are? Or what a cold, unfeeling wife you are? 
Do you see what a rebellious child you are? I have felt many of these things myself and have wept in repentance because God showed me my sinfulness. And I knew my only hope was for him to have mercy on me. These are painful moments when the light of truth dawns upon our hearts. But the Lord breaks us to raise us up. He cast us down in order to cast us upon the rock of ages. Jesus Christ crucified for us. And that is when we feel his love. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.